0: Hello, my friends, Kenny Stevens here, and welcome to Rookie Real Estate, where your road to success begins right here and right now. Whether you're looking to transition from your day job to your dream job, or you're on the road to your first 50 transactions, success is in the details, my friends, and we're going to unpack the fundamental principles required for you to thrive. Are you ready? Let's do this. All right, my friends, we are blowing through our buyer series and I am thankful for your feedback and please keep your questions coming. Also, don't forget to give us a five-star review and a kind comment. This is how we keep up this momentum. Your kindness and generosity of your time and sharing this with others gives us the opportunity to make our industry better. So much is given much is expected, right? All right, I want to start with us talking about the psychology of a buyer. Now, I a law enforcement criminal justice major and a psychology m- minor in college, and I loved diving into people's brains and how it works it probably is the most connecting with people is probably one of the things that i enjoy doing the most and usually within a few moments you're, you're going to know whether or not the connection can be built which is really cool and the older you get that becomes more and more but the more you interact with people that becomes more and more readily available quicker now we also want to touch on setting up showings today and maybe even Get into what showing a home would look like so we're gonna try to cover a lot of information But getting you that 500 foot view is absolutely critical Now if you've been listening to our Buyer Series, you should be building your confidence in getting a buyer through the process. Now, I know I'm feeding this information through a fire hose, but it's critical you see the entire process mentally in your mind so that you can get a potential client successfully through the process. And eventually, all of this will be like riding a bike. And we as realtors, we tend to forget about the emotions involved in buying a home. And I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into the actual emotions of the process, both the buyer's emotions and our emotions. Now, as a police officer, you've got to go through a training academy. And the one I attended was 22 weeks long, and I tell you, it was grueling. And through that process, the academy staff would put you into stressful situations and even tried to push you beyond your limits. Now, this is in a controlled environment and not really meant to damage the recruit, but it's critical of our officers to be able to manage their emotions because stressful times are coming. Now, considering that becoming a realtor is a two week degree in most cities, and we don't go through any type of training and emotional health and stability, yet we're helping families navigate one of the fourth most stressful life situations that we go through from getting married to getting divorced to loss of a loved one and then buying and selling a home. The most stressful top five events that you're ever going to go through is buying and selling a home. So of course there's going to be emotions involved. Knowing that we're as a, a commission based, uh, company or a commission-based individual, there's going to be emotions for us too, and we've got to know how to navigate that. Now, I'm not saying that realtors need a stress test to attend or attend a hell week at a police academy in order to be great, but I am saying that you might get yelled at, that you might be cussed at, that there are tears in some cases. Realtors on the other side of the transaction will sometimes lose their minds. Hear me say this, It's okay to lose your mind during a real estate transaction from time to time, but it is not okay for it to be any indication outward that you've actually lost your mind. It's all got to be inside of you. If you want to scream, scream in your head, but do not let that come out. There cannot be an outward indication that you've lost your mind because it's going to happen. You just gotta learn how to control it. Do you have any idea going into a crowd that's fighting? You know, there's two or three people fighting. It's gotten really bad. Large crowds are about the most dangerous that an officer can ever deal with. And you're pulling up, you're the only officer coming in, you know, you're a rookie, you're blowing in, and the sirens are going, you turn it off, everybody's like, the police are here, and there's there's a couple hundred people there. And there's people fighting and, like, knock down, drag out fist fights, you know, uh, throwing stuff at each other, and you've gotta go running into that. Do you think that there's fear involved? that that, uh, that officer's adrenaline is not blowing through their eyeballs and that they can feel the pulse of their heart in their eyes? Of course it is. But you do not see the fear of that officer when he jumps out of his car and he plows through this Uh, crowd by knocking people out of the way to get to the people fighting to separate them and to get people arrested. You don't see that fear, but I promise you, it is there. They can, it's palatable. They can feel it in their fingertips. Same thing, but maybe not as extreme. There are going to be times that you need to scream, but it just cannot be seen. Now, You can never also burn a bridge. This is something, a confidence, you're held at a level as a professional with confidence. And once that confidence is eroded, it it can't be gotten back in my opinion. So if you're on the side of the transaction and you blow a gasket, and you start saying things that you can't get back once you lose that confidence with your client, either over the phone or in person, or maybe even with the other side of the transaction, even if it's justified and about their screwing up and they're making this thing work go south, it doesn't matter. You cannot regain the ground that you've lost. Even if they're upset with you, your clients are upset, the agent's upset, the deal died. You can be upset, you can show disappointment, you can show that uh, these things aren't going well, you can agree with them, but losing it and blowing a gasket isn't an option for you as the professional. What we've gotta do is we've gotta hold it together. We've gotta take a deep breath. Give yourself permission to calm down and think back through the situation. Discuss the details with your broker or another more experienced agent, but always keep your cool even when talking with them. Never have I ever told an agent or client like, hey, can I take a couple minutes and call you back? Knowing that we needed to calm down and that the tensions needed, to like, lower just a few steps. Even 10 to 15 minutes when you call them back, go say, hey, thank you for that brief break. Now, let's talk about where we're at. That little bit of a point to do can change the whole feel of, of the stress that you're in because they've gotten time to breathe. They've likely gotten time to talk to their spouse or significant other and talk through some of the details and vent a little bit so that when you call back, they're ready to answer and sometimes talk about it. It works really good with agents too. Now, let's think about solutions and work together in the spirit of the contract. You're gonna hear that probably several times throughout your career, there's a, there's a contract that we have that are shalls and must and will and do this and do that and here's everybody's role, but there's also a spirit of the contract that once we get in court, it's logistics. It's gonna be by the word. But in reality, if everybody's working towards the common good and we're three minutes over the time limit because we're on the phone working it out and the signatures are signed and everybody signs forward, even though technically it died three minutes ago, everybody went ahead and signed and we're still moving forward in the spirit of the contract and it just revived. We don't have to start over. Now, don't hear me say let time elapse, but what I'm saying is there's a spirit to every contract to a situation and you're going to learn this and you're going to feel it. So be okay and work that together. Now sometimes you just might lawfully have to let a deal die and go find another property or let that buyer that was coming to you go find another property. Sometimes it's just not going to work out. Every deal you get under contract will not close. I heard that in real estate school and I thought, oh, I can hold them together that's not going to happen to me. But in reality, some deals don't need to close. It's not the best thing for the client or for the buyer, the seller, or for the situation as a whole. So if you're getting, if you can maintain a 98, 99% close percentage, man, you're doing great. You're actually killing it. So give yourself the permission to sometimes let it die. If it needs to die, move on find another buyer, find another seller, something along that lines, but sometimes it just needs to die. Work through the best you can, spirit of the contract, but when it's time to kill it, kill it, reboot, move forward. Now, what I see most often, and it's frustrating, is the fact that the agent can't get past their own emotions to get the problem solved. Now, remember I told you that it's the fourth most stressful thing in a a buyer and seller's life to buy and sell a home. But the problem is usually the agents get together and somebody's feelings get hurt or somebody says something that kicks the other person's dog and the agents can't get past their own emotions to get the problem solved. Buyers and sellers are charged up due to the stress of the event. and are likely already on edge and we've almost always got ways to save a deal if the deal's worth saving, but it requires both agents to also regulate their emotions. Now, I remember my sergeant always saying, I can justify almost anything you do in a given situation, but if words come out of your mouth that shouldn't come out of your mouth, it's certain to be your downfall. I've seen this play out too many times, both in law enforcement and in real estate. And if we're just gonna be honest, also in marriage, I sometimes something will come out of your mouth and you like as soon as it breaks the plane of your lips, you're reaching to get it back, and there's no way to get it back. And you learn those lessons, especially early in your marriage, very, very quickly. Keep your mouth shut think before you speak, but that's the same case when it comes to being, working with another agent or working with your clients. You can't get back what breaks that plane, no matter how hard you reach and pull, you can't just justify it. Uh, It just happens. So that's what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to feel it like there's a vulnerability inside of you that you can feel when your emotions are raising. That's whenever you have to stop it. Give yourself permission to take a break and figure out and problem solve. Seek advice. Be the problem solver. Don't throw fire. Don't throw gasoline on a fire. And I know you've met those people. That everything's nice and calm and then one person pops in and all of a sudden the fire is raging again. So, look for that be prepared that's why when i talk about with buyers and sellers sometimes the value of what we do isn't necessarily the commission paid or how much they're going to maintain it's what i'm going to save them in the process of the situation of buying and selling the house if i can see these red flags this is one of those red flags i talk about i can see it coming i can see the the pulse of the Uh, other side and our side the buyers and sellers starting to build and the that's whenever you can start putting foam on the fire kind of like they do at the the airport they bring out these big trucks and they start spraying foam even before even just because there's smoke they don't even see fire yet they douse the plane in foam and you can't even hardly see the plane it's so much foam but when the foam is there to keep the fire from erupting that's what we're trying to do Find that red flag. Regulate emotions. Now, let's talk about how. The thing that I found, information is the key to regulating your buyer's emotions. Even if if it's possible to regulate them. Information is going to be the key to that regulation. Being brand new, not knowing the full 500 foot view is why we're going through this buyer series. Sometimes you don't know how to give the information because you don't know it yet. That's why having a mentor and having training and rookie real estate and these podcasts are critical for you to grow and be successful in this industry. If you're in your sphere of influence working with a buyer and the first one you do crashes and burns and that person's words are big in everybody else's ears, don't think that that word is not gonna get around about you. That's why it's critical to learn it, know it. Now most often i found that buyers get upset when they feel boxed into a corner or when they don't feel the seller is being reasonable. Now, rarely is this over price. You would think it's always about money, but it's not. It's rarely about money, but it's usually the smallest of items that gets you. It's the little things in the inspection report that seem to stick in people's crawl. And at some point in our industry, home inspectors have been the leading cause of deals dying than any other cause in my my opinion. It's not necessarily because the home was in poor condition. It's usually because a buyer was led to believe that all 30 pages of the home inspection report should be fixed and they should be getting the perfect home. As if that would even be possible. Here's where the education and your buyer's presentation is critical. Teach them what to expect. Also, having a list of qualified, experienced home inspectors is a must. Your buyer will likely seek your recommendation on who to use. And we don't recommend picking the inspector for your buyer, but rather providing a list for them to choose from that have served your clients well in the in the past. You may not have had clients, but ask your broker for a list that they would recommend. A licensed professional. Now, in Tennessee, our license do not allow us to speak into the quality of a home based on its physical condition. Now, if you see a crack in drywall spanning across the entire room that you could drive a Mack truck through, you better say, well, this home has, oh, you better not say, I'm sorry, this home has foundation issues because you, my friend, are not a structural engineer. Even if you were a structural engineer, you're not working in the capacity at that time. Now, we should notice the crack and even draw attention to the crack and its presence. But your verbiage should be more along the lines of, well, that's interesting. If we move forward in making an offer on this home, we might want a qualified professional to check out that crack. Now, always defer to the expertise of a qualified professional. Always. Now, likely if you see in reality a crack across a wall like that, I've seen daylight. From living rooms before. You can see outside daylight from where the the ceiling and the wall have separated and you can see outside of a brick home daylight. That's what we call a problem. All right. But some people aren't scared of that. They know what the problems are. They're willing to get the professionals in there. And it may be one of those deals. They're like, man, this is a great deal because that and that can be fixed for $2,800, $2,800, and they find out all this information from professionals and they still move forward. But don't be the guy going, oh, that's foundation issues, because you don't know what it is. That's that's where agents get in trouble all the time. Just bring attention to it and bring in the professionals if they want to move forward. Uh, now, it's always good to work into the conversations from time to time. There's no such thing as a perfect home, but there is a perfect home for you. Even in new construction, we find things that need to be addressed during the inspection. Every home will have issues. And you're giving $500 to a guy to go through it with a fine tooth comb. Of course he's gonna find it. Of course there's gonna be 30 pages. Teach them during your uh, presentation that this is coming and what to expect and how we dress it. We're looking for deal breakers, not honey-do lists. I use that term all the time, and literally people smile when they hear it. All right, so you're solving the world's problems. You've gotten everything worked out in inspection or getting ready to teach them that this is gonna be coming up. I wanna talk about the selection process on narrowing down homes that they likely and possibly want to visit in person. The very best rule of thumb here when getting ready to show homes is less is more now i'm i'm not saying to avoid showing them the homes they want to see i'm saying there's a method to this madness looking at all 30 homes in an area that meet every single item of their desired checklist isn't always best for you or for them you'll never make it to an inspection process if you can't line up the right Houses for them to get in, see, and fall in love with. Your buyers, prepping your buyers in the buyer's presentation should help get them in the right mind frame of narrowing down the homes. You know, that's why we spent so much time in previous podcasts going, okay, say this on this slide create this slide there's reasons for these slides and that's what i'm talking about right here i even talk about that it's not uncommon for families to actually purchase the first home that they walk into and sometimes people chuckle when they hear that but i give them the example my wife and i licensed realtors we bought the first house we walked into our father-in-law my father-in-law her dad Bought the first house. It's not the fact that they hadn't seen 20,000 homes. It's the fact that we've narrowed it down from 20,000 to exactly what they were asking for and wanting. And we actually walked in and looked at the best one and they ended up buying. I even talked that if you can get them to expect to buy one when they walk in, they will actually be mentally prepared to buy that. I often even say, hey, you got your checkbook ready? We're buying a house today. Little things like that gets them mentally prepared to actually buy the house. It's not pressure. It's anticipation for what they're in the process to do and gives them permission to make that decision. Now this makes sense when you explain it like this. Mr. Miss Buyer, I'm going to sign you up on a home search where we will sift through thousands of homes in a given area. Now, based on your desires, we're likely gonna narrow that down to a few hundred. Also, based on your purchase power, this will narrow that list down more and more to about you know 10, 15 homes. And as you start looking at the homes and the pictures and how the floor plans work, that you're probably gonna narrow it down to six or eight that really tickle your fancy. Now, when we get to this group of homes, I'm going to want you to do something for me. I'm going to want you to drive by and drive the area. Enter it from different directions. Drive past the home. Look at how far these homes are from where you live, work, and play or where you want to live, work, and play. Are these things you see in the area, what is something going to eliminate that home that list of six to eight to 10 homes. Is something, Is a next door neighbor, really the question is, is he a shade tree mechanic? And is there 15 cars up on blocks? And are you gonna buy that house? Maybe you need a good mechanic, and you want that next door, and that's perfectly fine. But if it's not what you want, driving through the neighborhood is going to let you know whether or not you want to go in and see that. Sometimes there's retention ponds or uh, water towers or electrical towers. You're like, man, I just don't want to look at that. And that eliminates again. So we're down to 20,000 to 1,000 to a few hundred to 15 or 20 down to 8, 9, or 10. And now we're driving the neighborhoods. This eliminating these processes and them driving it brings it down to probably three to four homes that they actually want to schedule a showing for. And they can do all of that in a few minutes versus us setting up 15 showings, spending an hour at each one. That's 15 hours for them to pull up and go, Well, that's a water tower. I don't want to live underneath that in case it falls over and crushes my family while I'm sleeping, or whatever the case may be, whatever you dream up of why you don't want to have that house. But if you would have drawn by the neighborhood first or Google Earth it at the very least, then that would have eliminated that. Now, if you've prepared your buyer with the knowledge of this being the norm, this is what they will expect and will actually give themselves permission to eliminate homes based on the deal breakers they discover now maybe they're looking for an all brick home and three of the homes only have brick on one side or maybe even just three sides that allows them also to eliminate those homes if we're pulling up and somebody says i want an all brick home and it's got siding i'm gonna stop and go up we messed up this house has siding you're looking for all brick. Well, sometimes I go, well, you know, let's we're here. Let's go ahead and walk through it. And that's where you've got to be. Well, you've got to be able to articulate very quickly. Why do we want to walk into a home that we know we're not going to buy? Let's go ahead and move on to the next one because you said brick is a deal breaker and this one does not have brick. And they'll be like, oh, okay, you're right. Or if they say, okay, we're here, let's do it. Let's don't get into an argument. Let's go ahead and show it. But we're trying to eliminate that. Now, most people will do this naturally. And it's not hard. But others, you're going to have to talk them through what they originally expressed as things they really wanted. And honestly, this really it becomes an issue. It only becomes an issue when they're... Way too much inventory. Like right now, we have very little inventory in the Nashville market. So when somebody goes up and goes, okay, there's 10 things that I got to have. This has six of them. Let's go in and see it. I'm going to buy this house. Six of the 10 items are checked, and they still want to see it, and they end up buying it. That's what's happening right now because the inventory is so low, and you can't find all 10 items checked on a box unless you've got one to three years to wait for that to hit. But when there's an inventory excess and you've got 30 homes that meet what they're looking for, that's when this really becomes a problem. But I need to teach you this now because you're getting into an industry that's going to go up and down in inventory. You have to be mentally prepared for that process and be able to transition quickly. If you've got 20 homes to look at, you've gotta get it narrowed down. Give them permission to eliminate them. You help them eliminate them based on what they said they wanted. Ultimately, they're going to check them off the list, but you can remind them of what they're looking for. All right, so they've narrowed down to three or four homes that they want to view. You ask them to rate them in order of preference. Now, once you know this, you can show them the very best one first. Now, depending on where they are located, uh, it may not make sense to show them in order Uh, just to save time from backtracking and things like that. But showing the best one first is always the best idea because they already say, man, this has everything that I want. Why not walk in the door and let them fall in love as opposed to adding too many options for them? And one of Terry's old tricks that he taught me was to show them the home for the you know show them the first house and then show them the second house and then ask them after the second house okay between these two which one would you likely buy and they go well this one for sure literally take and rip up the MLS sheet of the other property so that that mentally tells them okay we're taking that one off the table and they don't have to think about that one anymore now I've done this a couple of times and people are like <gasps> like so. You know, you may or may not want to actually do that. Uh, I've watered it up before. I I Usually now I just take and put an X across the front of the sheet so that uh, we know that when I'm thumbing through the paperwork of the houses that we're going to see, I know we've already seen that one, and that one's a deal breaker. But this really helps them to clarify it in the elimination process. It also helps keep them from holding on to— all the good things about each property and therefore not being able to narrow down. If they go, man, but I really like the master bath and that one, but I like the kitchen, can we put those together Is kind of the running joke? Uh, If they don't say it out loud, you do. You go, well, I can't like merge those two houses, so which one would you live in given the two selections that you have and then draw an X on the other one? So we know that the emotions are high. We've conducted our buyer's presentation. We've stepped them up on a search. They've asked to see Ford Homes. This is really where you guys shine. Depending on how far apart the homes are located, I usually allow for about 30 minutes of showing. I let my buyers know that we have a 30 minute window, although technically it's an hour window uh, that I request from the the buyer or from the, the seller. But we have a 30-minute window because I've got to get to the next one and allow time and just in case they want to do a secondary walkthrough. So I let them know we have about 30 minutes per showing. I also let my buyers know that if we need to come back, that we can take more time if we need a second showing and that I'll keep an eye on the clock and keep us on track. I'll also point out if they by chance need more time that not to feel pressure to ask me, hey, let's... Let's stay here longer. I can always extend. If they walk in, I'm telling you guys, you're going to see it. They're going to walk in and they honestly, they go, that breath. I love hearing that breath because they love the house when they walk in. They know it's their house. Now, they just got to keep them from talking themselves out of it. But they know it almost every time when they walk in. That's, this is my house. So, even though you're the clock regulator of 30 minutes, if it's the right house, let it go. Give them 45. Give them the full hour. You can always call ahead and go, hey, I apologize. We're coming to see this one. We'll but running a little bit late. And let the, the next uh, client know, or next uh, homeowner know that you're coming late. But if you fell in love with one, don't feel rushed. Now, every buyer's different. Some blow through the homes, and others walk as if they're on a Sunday afternoon stroll. Now, you really... You won't know how they are until you get into the first home. So always print off the MLS sheets and always call the listing agents on your way uh, to the appointments. If you're going or if you're going to be late for one, always call ahead. Be respectful. uh, Or if you're running ahead of time or even behind just a few minutes, even the slightest backup, the sellers, your first impression with those sellers are critical. So if you're really early or you're really late, they're already got a bad taste in their mouth and you're going to bring them an offer and they're like, oh, these are the ones that didn't call because they were 45 minutes late. You know, you don't want to do that. So let's respect the time of the people in the process. But you're really honestly not going to know until you're with a buyer how they're going to look. I have one just this week where we had 12 homes to see she's flying in from california you're going kenny you said narrow it down to four or five yes i had 12 homes to see she came in from california she doesn't know the area so we're having to learn areas so we really had about four in three different areas to see well we walk in and this lady takes off like a rocket through this house she goes ma'am don't like that kitchen oh oh i love that master bedroom she's like all right let's go i mean we were like four minutes into this house at a dead sprint, and she's ready to go to the next one. Well, I've allowed 30 minutes, and I've got 12 showings set up. How does that affect the 12th one? I'm gonna be there in 30 minutes. I'm gonna be at my last one in 30 minutes, by the way. This lady's blowing through these homes. So literally, on the way, and she rode with me, uh, usually I have clients following, but she rode with me just because she didn't know the area. Uh, I'm having to call ahead to all going, hey, we're really moving through quickly. We've eliminated a lot of properties. We're excited about seeing yours. So we're going to be early. Is that a problem? And it wasn't uh, for the most part. But when she found the one that she really liked, we were there for a long time. So we went from screaming through showing till all of a sudden she's at snail's pace. And I've got already called ahead saying, I'm going to be at yours in 20 minutes It was a complete logistical nightmare, but it was also fun at the same time. It was fluid. I had the listing agent's phone numbers right in front of me. It wasn't a problem. But some sellers require, you know, more notice. So if you're calling ahead and you go, hey, we're going to be 30 minutes early, well, that may affect their family. And they may have kids, they may have done something for work, they may have come and picked up the dogs, something along that lines. So don't necessarily trash that property. If they say, hey, you've missed a window, can you come back at another time? Don't taint that property because the seller wasn't able to comply with your request of being early or being late. So you've also got to respect them because they're having to placate to your scheduling, and hopefully you're good at scheduling, But if you're not, they're also having to placate to that. So try to just be the optimistic person in the situation and be kind when you're asking and really overthink the agents or the sellers, whoever you're talking to when it comes to scheduling. All right, let's get back on track. Rarely will I ever pull comps on a home that I'm just showing for a client. Now, I have several reasons for this. I want them focused on the actual house and not on the seller's ability to price the home correctly based on the previous three to five homes that have sold in that neighborhood. This takes the pressure off of your buyers. The second reason is I don't want to spend 30 to 45 minutes diving deep into each house I show, pulling comps, only to find out they didn't like the floor plan and have no desire to make an offer on that one. That would have... That would be 30 minutes of my life that I would never get back. So work smart, not hard, they always say, and I always say. With that being said, I let my clients know on the front end that their job is to fall in love with a home, and once that happens, I can dive into the numbers and the comps, and we can talk about making an offer. Now, what I love most is when one of my buyers— walks into a home, and by the time they're done, they grab my arm, they look me in the eye, and say, I want this house. And this actually really does happen. I've literally had wives look at me and go, do not let me lose this house. Do whatever it takes. Now, obviously, you got to be the professional and not do anything reckless, but when you know this, you have to make sure that you do what it takes. This is when you dive into the, the comps and you really start pulling it. When they fall in love with one, you've got time to run numbers. Uh, if the inventory is super low, you're probably placating some of it based on what the seller wants and what the seller's agents has aside the value is. And really, the true check and balance is going to be with the appraisal anyway. So even if it's 5000 more than you would prefer, because the last one's sold 5000 less than this one, and this is really not quite as good as those, sometimes you just got to put that offer forward. And we'll talk about that more when it comes to comps. But it's always helpful to print off you know, property condition disclosures provided by the seller. And a lot of times they put that on MLS. And as you're, as they fall in love with the home, you can start talking through the conditions with the homeowner, the age of the HVAC, how old the roof is, and discuss some of those things while you're in the home and looking around. You can transition the, the buying and the fall in love part of this process to talking about the logistics right there in the home after they got done tugging on your arm saying, don't let me lose it. Then having that ready, the, condition property, the property condition disclosure will allow you to start changing that gears and start talking about the logistics of the home and where they would like to start. Now I always like to talk about or talk to the listing agent prior to showing a home as well. So I've got the property condition disclosure, but I've also had a conversation. And if you're riding with the client and they're in your car, you can't usually do this unless you do it the day before. But if they're not with me, I call on the way. I thank them for allowing me to show the home. I ask if there's any important information to share. I always ask why the sellers are moving. And now, as you know, listing agents cannot tell me anything that will shine a negative light on their client. But more often than not, the agent vomits all over me all the personal information of their clients. They're getting a divorce. They're always they're already bought another house and they're desperate. All kinds of things they shouldn't say. They say, I can't help that they say it. I'm allowed to ask. They're not allowed to share it, but if they do, now I know it and I can we can help us create a plan on making an offer for that house. But make sure you are not like that agent. That you're not that person that shares what you're not supposed to share. One, it's against your license and the rules. But two, word gets around fast if you can't keep your mouth shut on secrets or things that aren't supposed to be shared. Now sometimes the listing agent will ask about my buyer's ability to purchase and if they're pre-qualified and maybe what exactly they're looking for. Share what you're allowed to share, but nothing more. It is fair to tell them, yeah, we're pre-qualified, they're strong, we've got our down payment ready, we know what we're looking for, we don't have a house to sell, we're a ready, willing, able buyer. That's what you're supposed to be sharing, not, oh, well, they're in a divorce, and you didn't hear it from me. If you ever have to say you didn't hear it from me, stop talking. Do not share anything after that statement, all right? We're in the South, and that's kind of like bless their heart. I know what's coming after bless their heart, and it's usually something you're not allowed to be sharing with me. But I'll let you keep on talking if that's the way you want to be. All right, this conversation should also go, also give the listing agent an opportunity to tell you about the homes they have coming soon. Don't miss this thought. If if you're looking for homes and the inventory's low, ask the agent who's got that house listed, do you have any more coming like this one in this price range that might be an option for my client. The main thing to remember is collect information for your client's behalf. Be extremely kind and accommodating if possible and honor Again, the showing instructions to include timeframes. Don't screw it up and get your bad foot forward because you're, you're poor management of time. Eyes are on you. The seller, the seller's agent, your buyer, all eyes are on you. Earn your keep. Be the professional. Have information to share. Provide value. All right we've gotten it down to we got four homes one of the four homes that you're showing is likely your client's next home to live in for the next five to seven years bridge the gap for your clients and make this process fun and as stress free as possible i actually call my clients the morning of and go hey I'm gonna see you at 11. We got four homes to see, and guys, are y'all ready to buy a house? If you can prep them with the energy and excitement, because it's so stressful. Don't make it stressful if if it's possible. Like, get them excited about it. This can be fun if you'll make it fun. Call them ahead of time. Bring your checkbook. We're gonna buy a house today but without being a used car salesman at the same time. Next week, we're going to dive into comps and making offers and negotiating. This is where the rubber meets the road, my friends. We've almost gotten you through the entire buying process, and I would have given anything to have this podcast prior to me working with buyers. That's why I'm putting this out there. Yes, I could dive extremely deep into every aspect of the buying process and likely with within some point give you two or three episodes on each single topic. But now we're trying to get your book of business built. We're trying to get you the 500-foot view and to put you in a position where you can protect and serve your client's best interests. I'm going to have faith that you're going to rely on your your mentor or your broker or whoever's training you to help you dive deep and to make sure the logistics of this process that I'm giving you in this buyer series is worked through. But you guys get to see it. I needed to see it. I'm very visual. So once I got through a couple of these, I'm like, man, I can do this and I can be good at this. And eventually, like I said, it's like riding a bike. So you guys, that's it for today. Please write me an email. Tell me about your first buying experience. Was it good or was it bad? What was fun? What was scary? If you haven't gotten that far, what are some of the questions about this process that you have? Do you have any fears? Do I need to clarify anything? Email me at Kenny at rookie real so I can answer those questions. Now, special thanks to Scott Parker, my engineer extraordinaire. This guy is dangerous. And makes me sound good each and every week. The content of this podcast is written by me, your host, Kenny Stevens, and is powered by DeSelms Real Estate in Franklin, Tennessee. Until next time, my friends, better your best.